We harvested our courgette. Oh, courgette. Yes. Um, I, although I don't know if this if the et is appropriate because this is the one where you let uh, get big for seeds. Gotcha. So we courgette. And then Caleb, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mustang, I believe, is what they're called. Ah, now. okay, gotcha. Um, and uh, Caleb found a recipe for actually you cut it and then you you know you scooped out the middle so then you have rings and then you kind of uh, cut some up and create a, a stuffing with some tomatoes and stuff and put it in the ring and then bake it. Oh, okay. And the, the so a full, full-on grown-up zucchini doesn't taste bad. It just doesn't taste much. And it's also probably fairly firm, right? Like almost woody? Uh, uh, more so that, like, yeah, if, if you get out to the rind skin, sure, whatever skin. it would be. Um, it's m- more fibrous for sure, but it's... Um, it's real similar to a, a pumpkin or, or a, um, some other squashes, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's weird because you can see kind of the fibers in the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't too, too bad, so maybe we didn't let it get ripe enough. I don't know. But, but the seeds mm-hmm. looked okay. So. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall? You could be really good at this, and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Well, let's, I mean, let's get started there then. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. Or welcome. I suppose I shouldn't, uh... <laughs> Keep those of you out for whom this is your first episode. Uh, I guess we'll start with our garden corner that we that we've now been doing. Um, I have a cucumber in my backyard that I'm also allowing to go to seed. This thing is enormous, right? Like it's nearly infant sized. It's gigantico, and it's turned completely yellow. So I'm going to um, harvest it today. Give it a couple of days on the counter to 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 set a little bit, and then I'm going to cut it open. Scoop out all the inside junk and wash the seeds out of that and then dry those and save those for next year. Um, but this cucumber thing is out of control for me because now I, I just don't have anything to do with them. I have so many. It's, it's absurd. <laughs> it, uh, I didn't realize how many things we harvest uh, so early Yeah. for consumption. Like I didn't realize that cucumbers, A, turned yellow and B, that we are, they were baby whatever. But I suppose thinking about it, because zucchini seeds are also tiny, and yeah. it makes sense that those aren't like viable seeds. And the cucumbers are the same way. So, of course, those would mature, and the seeds would become more seed-like. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, if these do grow true to form and all of that kind of stuff. Because I've never saved the seeds from something to then plant the next year. Uh, the way that I'm planning on doing that. This time around, I am going to also save, I'm going to do a whole bunch of seeds at once. I'm going to save a bunch of tomato seeds from this year's harvest. I'm going to save a bunch of pepper seeds from peppers that I'm going to buy at the fucking grocery store. Because the peppers that I'm growing, the packet that I ordered, again, online, totally my fault, that said uh, multicolored, you know, let's call it like confetti peppers or something like that, right? They're just growing these gigantic, fairly skinny, what look like either banana peppers or like really pale poblanos, like gringo poblanos. I, I don't. I don't know if they're spicy. I'm just gonna have to harvest one and cut it open and see if it's 
see what it tastes like. Because they're just getting bigger. They're not ripening at all. They're just getting larger. <laughs> well, that's the first step. <laughs> and then the second step is changing color. Because that's the other thing I've learned is most everything turns red if it's in the pepper family. Right. Well, there's <laughs> that. And also, like, I'm having to be really careful about my tomatoes. Because, like, I want to get out there and pick them. So my – I sent you a picture of this. My um, Tigerella tomatoes which start off bright green with darker green like flames on top of them start to turn yellow and those darker green like lines tend to go away and then they turn orange and then they turn red and then those flames get darker again i'm waiting for the getting darker again part but some of those are red enough now that i'm like if that was just a regular ass tomato i would grab it but it's not quite there we're looking at like tomorrow for a good harvest for those my Roma tomatoes, the, the San Marzano tomatoes are starting to turn. And I keep having like one or two midnight snacks that are ready every day. Like, yeah. <laughs> this is a, it's a fatty cherry tomato. Like, it's a big guy, but not so much so that I'm going to feel good about harvesting like one a day. That's weird. Well, that's what, there's what the snack part comes in. I guess I should just, yeah, be rinsing them off under the hose and eating them outside. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's built into the name. It's like, hey, if you <laughs> wanted a bushel of these at a time, forget about it. It's just a snack. Yeah. But I, so I will have for next year cucumber seeds to plant, pepper seeds to plant. I have that gem corn that I bought. Uh, so far, that's my plan. I don't, I don't know that I want to get into squashes the way that you have, although I do have two fairly large pumpkins that are growing in the backyard that were volunteers, which I'm going to, I guess I'm going to carve them, you know, this fall. Uh, but I bet if I were to grow like butternut squash, my family would eat that. So that's the other thing is that. While my wife and kids are not averse to eating vegetables, I do need to grow things that they will want to eat. And I've tapped them out on cucumbers. Like, I've made cucumber <laughs> salads. I have – I am currently – I shaved a bunch of cucumbers down, and I'm drying them out. I'm going to make a cucumber powder, which will be a good addition to, like, smoothies, things like that. But the yield on that's garbage. It's just a way to get rid of the cucumbers, which is not the point. And um, – I mean, I added a whole cucumber to a smoothie the other day, which I might do today because I haven't had breakfast yet, so that might be my lunch. But yeah, at this point, my family is just like, no, we can't eat more cucumbers. And I have like <laughs> 40 jars of pickles. So, I mean, I'm set for pickles for the rest of my life. <laughs> I mean, cucumbers are basically 90% water, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. You need to invent or or find a uh, the plans for one online. I don't know if they were big up where you were, but for a time when I was in high school, potato guns were real big. <laughs> you right. need a cucumber gun. Yeah. So just a smaller diameter PVC pipe and you're all set. It's It's been kind of nice because we also bought a spiralizer, my daughter and I did, and so you can take cucumbers and put them on the like wide cut ribbon setting of a spiralizer and make a fairly nice like fresh salad out of it. And then the inside part goes to the chickens. They love the inside seedy, watery part of a cucumber. So that's oh, nice. that's worked out for me too. And, and yeah, and then all your chickens are going to taste like cucumbers. All the eggs, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, or if I eat the chickens, I suppose. But that's okay cuz then you can just convince the your family that it only tastes that way because they've had so many cucumbers. <laughs> there's really nothing wrong with the eggs. Yeah. Although having said that, there's one, there's like a cucumber tomato cilantro red onion kind of a like an Israeli salad that I have not made yet, so I'll make that too. But cucumbers, you just don't cook them, right? And so much of what I do is cooking as opposed to, like, preserving or just making salads or whatever. Right. So, Although, having said that, I made a batch of Israeli pickles, like salt-cured pickles. I made a batch of a straight-up, like, bread-and-butter dill pickle with turmeric and all that. And then the most recent one that I made that yielded me about 
a dozen jars, maybe 15. Uh, garlic and ginger with uh, rice wine vinegar. They're really good. It's a really good, like, fresh, crisp kind of uh, refreshing, almost, pickle. They're really, they're, they're nice. I don't know what the hell I'd use them for other than just, like, eat some pickles. But, yeah, they're good. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah, I don't know if we'll do uh, zucchini again. Um, we just needed seeds because we got it from the seed library, so yeah. we wanted to return some. Um, How did but, you uh, find the seed library? I don't know. Because the library also has like a library of things. Okay. So like they have some tools and whatnot that you can check out and use and then you know return to the library. So I don't... Kayla found it, and I, I don't know how exactly. Um, that, But it, it was there, so... Um, yeah, just check check your local library. I don't know how many places have yeah. it. We thought it was kind of a cool thing. Yeah, because they had flowers as well, not just yeah. vegetables, flowers and vegetables and whatnot. So, I I purchased. I think I mentioned this on the last show, and I do remember what it was. Now I purchased seeds of a local indigenous flower, which some people just get rid of as a weed because it does grow like in the same way that weeds do like you plant one of them holy shit do you have a lot of these later <laughs> but they're great for attracting pollinators so i'm going to plant some in the front and i'm going to plant some in the back it's called wild bergamot and it's got this little purple flower the leaves are a little spiky and there's a patch in the front of the house between the sidewalk and the road that i just something happened there they needed to tear it up for uh pipe or or there was a tree there that they cut down or something but it's just an ugly patch that i grew some clover on but the thing about clover clover's great and clover will uh take over where your grass has died and just go bonkers however clover's really sensitive to moisture right so if it's damp and rainy like it is today by tomorrow the clover out there is going to be like a foot tall but if it's dry <laughs> for a couple of days the clover does a dieback where it looks like it's completely fallen apart. All it just needs is more water, and it's fine, but it looks ugly. And then you can get soil runoff and stuff, because clover doesn't have super deep roots. So I'm thinking I'm going to take that patch and plant. Uh, there's another kind of a prairie grass. I forget what it's called, but it's also indigenous to this area. I might take that patch and make it into the wild bergamot and that prairie grass that does have a deep root system. And try that out and plant it this year and try it out and see how it bounces back next year. And if that's if it works, I plant that shit all along the front. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Is that something you'd have to cut or I don't know the answer to that. I'd have to look into what sort of like uh, care is required. Cool. I do know cool. it's good for retaining soil like composition though, because it doesn't it doesn't erode because it's got a deep root base. Yeah. I might have to look into some of that for my... I don't know what to do, whether to try to do a retaining wall or uh, plant other things. I, I don't really have too much erosion issues with a weird bank in the front of my yard, but um, it's not very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tomatoes. I'll just plant tomatoes because they like to go everywhere. There you go. That's true. Um, the tomatoes that I have this year, I'm really going to evaluate for how did this do for me and not plant as many as next year. And then I'm also going to plant them stationary. So we have three raised beds that my wife put dirt in, and she just doesn't like that dirt. She doesn't think that it's doing what she wants it to do. So she's planted oats in one of them and 
strawberries, but the strawberries aren't really taking. We're going to unload all of our two compost bins into those beds and churn them this year before we uh cover them with leaves and stuff for the winter and then next year she's like just plant whatever you want in there so i think i'm gonna plant the tomatoes actually in those boxes as opposed to in the bins like i did this year in those buckets because i think the buckets are holding them back i think they're just not quite large enough what what size are the buckets they're like three and a half or four gallon okay because i have a five gallon bucket and the tomato plant i put in there is doing really well um, I think, but I mean, I'm not, it, it might not be doing great for someone who's a real gardener, <laughs> but, uh, the one that I planted in my, um, raised, raised beds that are on like legs, right. um, which I don't think are quite as deep as maybe the bucket, but they'd have be able to spread out more, but I think I crowded it a little too much. Um, cause that's the one where the tomatillo plant took over and I don't know if we'll get any tomatillos because it's, you know, you only have, have one. two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the tomato plant that's in there, we're going to get one, at least one really good tomato off it. And it has a few other tomatoes on it, but it didn't really do much otherwise. And it looks a little, you know, uh, like it's like it's trying real hard. And it's like, I'm going to get over this hill, but then you got to let me go. Um, <laughs> but the other one is doing better. The Roma is going like gangbusters in one of those things. And then the cherry tomatoes we planted there, I didn't do a good job of getting in the uh, uh, tomato cage. Ah. So they, they came out the sides, um, and so I have to be real careful when I'm mowing that I don't um, clothesline myself, or uh, I guess it's not a clothesline if it hits you in the chest, right? So whatever <laughs> that is. Um, I, I had to go through, because some of my tomatoes got away from me because we were out of town for a little bit, and I had to go through and take butcher's twine and like tie some of the branches back to the cage, because I was never going to get them in the cage without breaking them. And so my tomatoes are also a little bit of a... They're a mess. <laughs> <laughs> as far as like where all the the different branches go, it does make me wonder like who decided the tomato cage was a good idea because it is, but also it seems like tomatoes want to be real low to the ground. Yeah, and and then kind of spread out. I guess that's so that the next year's plant grows however <laughs> eight feet away or however You're the long right. those stupid things get to drop the tomato um, gently onto the ground since uh, you know that they seem to want to really spread out instead of go up. The one that I have in the bucket, I did have to zip tie the tomato cage to the fence because the weight of the tomatoes on the other side were pulling it uh, yep. akimbo. So I uh, I pulled it back and zip tied the tomato cage to the fence so that it couldn't get pulled that direction any further. But Luckily for me, my buckets that I brought home from work to use for these tomatoes have like a lip on them. And so I have these really short bungee cords and i've been able to as that exact same thing has happened and the whole cage has started to turn i've been able to bungee cord them back down one of them now because of how many times it's done that has four uh bungee cords on it <laughs> basically giving it the exact amount of tension the same amount of tension from each side to hold them down. nice but i we <laughs> saw a very they're cool all on the same side oh yeah <laughs> that'd be amazing we uh we saw a very cool thing at an antique store in antioch illinois is that where it was I think so, where um, they had taken a big old wine barrel, which I'm trying to get a hold of, but like people understand that there's value in these things, and I would love to get a bunch of those big wine barrels, but they're kind of expensive because people are like, oh, no, I have this thing that idiots like me want, right? They trellised them. So they had the tomatoes going up a, a trellis, which tomatoes don't normally like to do, but they had just, as the plant got taller, they tied it back, and they tied it back, and they tied it back, and so it requires a certain amount of work, but... 
a tomato cage is great until you try to get to the tomatoes that are in the very middle. Yeah. But this, it was flat. And so it was like this big, tall, flat fan of tomatoes, which was actually really pretty as well. So I might do something like that. That would be cool. You know, I think I saw when early on someone had done uh, zucchini with a trellis, and I don't know how that would work because my zucchini, I, I thought, oh, okay, I get it. But that's when I thought it was more vine-like, like a pumpkin or something. Right. Um, but because they're so weird, I don't know how the trellis would work, but I guess some people. Then the one guy that we were watching to try to figure out when to harvest it as well seemed to be just like a jungle of zucchini wherever he was in Britain. <laughs> I don't know how it gets to that point because ours is still just one, you know, sort of weird alien-like yeah. uh, zucchini worm plant thing. Well, I think that vines like that are a lot stronger than we think they are. I'll take some pictures today when I go out to harvest the remaining uh, cucumbers that are ready right now. Because no matter what I do, every day it's like, oh, look, there are nine more cucumbers to fucking harvest. <laughs> I'll take a picture with something for scale for that big cucumber because it's hanging. thing is hanging four feet off the ground. It's got to be 13 inches long, if not more. It's massive. <laughs> and it's still just hanging off of the one vine. So the plants know. And I imagine that if I really wanted to be... Like, I'm being kind of impatient, but if I really wanted to let it completely go to seed, I should let it drop off naturally, because I bet that it does that on purpose. But the other thing about that is that these have climbed the side of the chicken coop so much, there are cucumbers that are ready to go on top of the coop that I can't get to. I just cannot get there. <laughs> so uh -huh. I'm going to have cucumbers on top of the chicken coop, I guess, forever, because they're, <laughs> that's, they're just they're unreachable from, from where I have access to that. So... Uh, you know, you should you should just experiment since you have so many. Try to make some cuke leather, uh, right? Um, in your dehydrator, I can only imagine that you get like a five percent yield off a cucumber <laughs> if you were to dehydrate it. I am tempted to juice a bunch of them or puree a bunch of them and freeze them in ice cube trays or something for exactly that. For just like I need to add something to, you know. Um, a smoothie or something. I mean, once the tomatoes really start banging, I could probably make gazpacho, but nobody in my house eats gazpacho, and I don't think you can, like, jar it. You don't go to the store and see jars of gazpacho. Yeah. So I don't even know. It'll be interesting. I mean, cu cucumbers are just <laughs> something you're supposed to either eat fresh or as a pickle, and there's really not much in between. Yeah. <laughs> and if you wait too long, you can't do either. You have to just let it go to seed. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, I'll put pictures up. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to see those pictures, the best way to do that is to look at my Instagram, which is Chef Ben Randall. And over the summer, because while I am a working chef here in Chicago, my job is at a school, uh, over the summer I have a lot more time. So I tend to do a lot more posting throughout the summer. We, if you want to be part of the conversation, also have an email address, which is in the weeds wbr at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group. If you just look for In the Weeds with Ben Randall on Facebook, and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. Where you'll see all sorts of uh, interesting articles and things like that that Steve and I text back and forth to each other all the time. He's been really good about putting those up on that website. <laughs> Speaking of, I wondered if you wanted to jump right into some of these articles that we have been uh, ignoring. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, we were gonna try to get to some last time, and then the connection, for whatever reason, was just so weird that uh, yeah. we neglected. So, congratulations to anyone who uh, managed to get through that. I don't know how was the editing. Did you get it? 
uh, pieced together in a way that made sense. It was not too bad. Yeah, we didn't lose too much of our okay, of our audio recording from last week when we did have horrible, horrible internet connection going on. Also, so there's a lot of things going on right now. One is I'm using my new laptop, which I should be doing more often anyway. And there's <laughs> nobody in the house, so there's nobody else using the uh, the internet connection that we have here in the house. Yes, I believe that is helpful as well. All right. Well, I was wondering if you wanted to start with another frivolous lawsuit. Yes. Which one is this? So this is from Food & Wine. Class action lawsuit claims Taco Bell crunch wraps should come with more beef. Yes. You saw yes. this one? Uh, you sent this to me. Or, uh, right? Uh because yeah. I think my response was, shouldn't that really be up to Taco Bell? So the subtitle is, an underwhelmed customer is taking the chain to court over the photos of its items versus the real thing. Ladies and gentlemen, quick question for you. Have any of you gone to a fast food place, any, any fast food place, and looked at the photos on their menu and thought to yourself, honestly, that's what I'm going to get? Because guess what? <laughs> You're not. If you ever see a picture of a Big Mac or a Whopper or a anything, that's not what the final product is going to look like coming to you. It's called fucking advertising, right? So, having said that, this fella, um, Frank Siragusa, who I'm probably related to because my mother's maiden name is Circu, and that derives from Siragusa way, way, way back. Fine. Uh... <laughs> What I love the most about this, let me make sure that I get this right. Crap, where does it say how much he's suing for? I have it like two paragraphs up above the related thing. The Taco Bell's actions are especially concerning. Yes. Now that inflation, food, and meat prices are very high, and many consumers, especially lower-income consumers, are struggling financially, the lawsuit adds. The lawsuit is seeking damages $500 per item sold between July 31st, 2020, and whatever ends up being the final day of disposition for the legal action. So this guy is suing for $500 for every Crunchwrap Supreme that's been sold since that date in 2020, which he paid $5.49 for a Mexican pizza. Um, I looked this fella up, and it does not seem like he specializes in doing these frivolous fast food and retail lawsuits like the fella was that we, we talked about before who was suing Texas Pete hot sauce however this still feels kind of ridiculous yeah well and it might be the law firm because they may may have been just looking for someone that could sue so uh because some law firms specialize in it but they don't necessarily use the same person every time oh i guess as, that's that's true yeah as plaintiff but i i mean i don't know that because i don't know as it even mentions the law firm so uh yeah this could just be someone who was legitimately upset that um there wasn't enough beef in their crunch wrap or uh so here's a quote taco bell does not adequately disclose the weight of the beef or filling one of siragusa's attorneys anthony russo told reuters anthony russo if i'm not too terribly mistaken uh directed avengers endgame with his brother <laughs> so i'm not certain why somebody at that level of what i can only imagine is wealth because anthony russo and his brother i don't know why i'm blanking on that guy's name the Russo brothers, wrote and directed like seven of the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies. I don't know why they need to also sue Taco Bell. That feels like gilding the lily a little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unless, unless they see the, uh, you know, the, um, it wouldn't be the light at the end of the tunnel. They just see the end of Marvel coming soon. So they're like, oh, we need another uh, <laughs> right. source of income. Okay, to be fair, um, 
which I still, this is just a stupid lawsuit. But to be fair, I just sent you a picture yeah. of the image of the Crunchwrap Supreme from the Taco Bell website. And compare that to the picture they have here in the article. And yeah, it looks a little different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm sorry. I, I should probably be serious for a minute. So, ladies and gentlemen, what this what this lawsuit is saying is that this person was defrauded. So they thought they were buying a thing, and they got a different thing instead. Now it interests me that the lawyers are saying two things that contradict themselves, right? So, quote from the article: The lawsuit argues that Taco Bell's ads are unfair and financially damaging to customers who are not getting the amount of beef, beans, or other fillings that they paid for. However, later on. Um, Anthony Russo, in that quote that I just read, quote, Taco Bell does not adequately disclose the weight of the beef or filling. So here's my question, Anthony Russo. If they're not telling you how much is there, how can they be defrauding you in not giving you what you paid for if you didn't know what you were paying for, right? Yeah. You cannot weigh a photo to get the amount of beef and beans and other fillings that are in there, right? So this is, this is entirely an issue of... Um, a customer expecting a thing. It's an expectation issue. A customer expecting a thing and getting a different thing. And I would argue that the expectation is unreasonable, but that's what marketing is for. Yeah. Well, and other things that I think could possibly um, uh, not work in the favor of the lawsuit. One of them is uh, the other thing that we don't see here is scale. So yeah. maybe this crunch wrap in the image for advertising is half the size of the one that they're giving you, but has the same amount of beef and everything that the one they're giving you has. So there, therefore, it's going to look more full. I mean, but the other thing is as well, I can definitely tell that these are the same thing. Right. It's not like he ordered the thing in the picture and he got a hot dog. <laughs> right. It's, it's definitely the same thing. I can look at the picture and look at this thing and say, yes, those are the same thing. I got what I ordered. Let me carry on with my life. <laughs> I would also say that if you're the kind of person who would purchase a Mexican pizza from Taco Bell, you are falling under, I don't know if this is a legal precedent or not, but no matter what you paid, you get what you paid for. Because if you're dumb enough to order a Mexican pizza at Taco Bell, then whatever you receive is what you deserve, no matter what it is. I mean, Taco Bell needs to be watching its back, I think, because that Texas Pete's going to get up here and he'll be like, this is neither Mexican nor pizza. I'm suing <laughs> this, suing you. This did not come from Mexico. Yeah, and it is in no ways a pizza. So <laughs> fork it over. I don't know. It'll be interesting. Like I said, in, in past episodes, my dad has a good friend who has three Taco Bells in the Pacific Northwest. I don't know where. I'm not being deceptive or, or intentionally cagey. I don't know where this guy's Taco Bells are. The individual franchisees do have a certain amount of wiggle room where this fella made those three locations very successful by intentionally putting, like, I don't know, it was like an ounce more meat in the tacos or something like that every time that they would get an order and he didn't advertise it. He didn't say anything about it, but people noticed, right? And so they became sort of the go-to because people were like, I don't know, that Taco Bell's got way heavier tacos, right? So they do have a certain amount of, of wiggle room. I don't know if a franchisee could intentionally decrease the amount that they're putting in. Yes. Yeah, that was going to be – that was another thought of mine as well is that the only re – the way that this is in any way uh, 
warranted is if this franchisee is decreasing the amount of beef in order to save money. Now, yeah. um, down here toward the bottom, I, I guess I missed this, but this does tell me that this law, this law firm does kind of specialize in this kind of thing because um, the last two paragraphs here. Last year, Russo and James Kelly, uh, their, uh, the other attorney, represented a Florida man when he filed a similar lawsuit against Burger King. In that lawsuit, the customer was disappointed by a Burger King burger that was smaller than it appeared in photos. Um, according to the legal finding, Burger King's ads depicted the burger with oversized meat patties and ingredients that overflowed the bun to make it appear that the burgers are approximately 35% larger in size and contain more than double the meat. Uh, Reuters reports that that lawsuit eventually went to mediation, but the two sides did not reach an agreement. Russo and Kelly were also the attorneys for another defendant in their lawsuit against both McDonald's and Wendy's over the size of those burgers. That case is still pending. So, yeah, you're right. Even though this fella, in particular, Frank Zaragoza, is not a career litigator of fast food, the uh, attorneys that he has retained are... Although it doesn't sound like they're terribly successful. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I guess they're just getting started, right? This is their, uh, they're like, okay, well, who knows what it was before this? Because yeah. these are all have to do with, with what things look like in their photo versus what they are in real life. Yeah. Um, so. And that's, that's. Again, they're, what they're suing over is the central tenet of marketing, which is let me make this thing look better than it is so that you buy it. Here's the thing. I've been to a Burger King within the last calendar year, right? Because Burger King brought back the Italian chicken sandwich, which when I took my driver's ed when I was 15, right? Steve, this is 30 years ago. When I took my driver's ed classes, the closest place to get lunch during those classes was a Burger King. And that was when they first rolled out their international chicken sandwiches. They had a French one, they had an American one, yep. and they had an Italian one. So by international, they meant two countries that we came from. So... I really enjoyed the Italian chicken sandwich when I was a kid going to Burger King, whatever. They brought it back. I took my kids to Burger King, which I don't know if either of them had ever been to it. And I got the Italian chicken sandwich. They each got burgers. All three of us came away from that experience underwhelmed <laughs> with this sense that we were never going to go back to Burger King again. But guess whose fault that is? That's not Burger King's fault. That's my fault. I should have known better. And I'm not going to sue Burger King because I don't want a public record of... I'm the idiot who went to Burger King and felt bad about it enough so that I wanted to cry. <laughs> like Frank Siragusa, who made the terrible choice to go to Taco Bell and now wants everyone in the nation to know that it made him cry. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the, the exact same language is in the McDonald's Wendy's one. Defendants' actions are especially concerning now that inflation, food, and meat prices are very high. And many consumers, especially lower-income consumers, are struggling financially, the complaint said. So it's the, it's the exact same complaint just carbon copied to another thing and yeah um <laughs> this person uh frank is that what it was saragusa yep um yeah he's a he's a whiny little baby and um uh that should be how he's portrayed the the other thing is that maybe you can go to the mcdonald's youtube channel and they show you how they prep the burgers for filming and for photos Huh. And, and um, I mean, they don't hide the fact that they're doing that. But one of the things they say is they want to make sure that everything is that's on there is visible. So yeah, um, some of it isn't just to make it look more appealing, but it's like, hey, we want you to see the special sauce. We want you to see the onion. We want you to see yeah. all this stuff. So you look at the picture and you know what's on there. Um, so it, it's, uh, you know, um, marketing is marketing. I don't, I, I can't conceive 
that they'll win any of these. But also, if you wonder why your Taco Bell prices go up, you can thank Frank Saraguso for um, taking the company to court, even if they win. Um, I mean, even if Taco Bell wins the case, because they still have to pay their counsel and whatnot. Yeah, so... What they're hoping for, I'm sure, is an out-of-court settlement for a certain amount of money, specifically for their client, right? Which would then bolster their ability to continue doing it, right? I don't, I don't expect that they think this is going to go to the Supreme Court right. and, and have bring down Taco Bell as a company. They, I'm sure they're not shooting that high because that's ridiculous. The other thing about marketing food like this, you're not wrong. It is designed to be the prettiest. Like, nobody would buy... A Whopper if you took a picture of a Whopper you have to take a picture of something else when doing food styling stuff ladies and gentlemen if you ever see a picture of a scoop of ice cream that is trying to tempt you into going to a place to buy a scoop of ice cream that scoop of ice cream is likely Crisco so that they can get the perfect scoop they can color it any way that they want it never changes shape and unless the room is really hot it's not gonna melt right and it's a perfect scoop shape right? If you go to someplace that does scooped ice cream and you look at their picture and you're like, wait a minute, why am I not getting that? They damn well better give you a sugar cone with Crisco in it yeah. because that's what that is, right? So we all understand this game. Uh, the, the photo of something for marketing is a first date. Nobody who has ever been in a relationship expects first date behavior for the entirety of the relationship. That's when you're putting your best self out there. That's when you're trying to entice the other person. Then, like, as they said on MTV's Real World, then things get real. Yeah. This crunch wrap, I would argue, is puck from the real world. <laughs> Season one in New York. Uh, the other thing I think they could uh, argue in this is, like, uh, that's that's not the real thing. He's not looking at an image of the real thing. That's That's an illustration. Yeah, uh, you know, for illustration purposes only, uh, or whatever. And um, why? Why is he so dumb that he thinks that that's what he was going to get? That's not real. That's a photo. <laughs> right. Well, there you go. What he should have gotten was a photo. Yes. Of a Crunchwrap Supreme. Yeah. What he really wanted was the thing. The right. thing was a photo. Here you go. Exactly. <laughs> they should just include that with each one, and then <laughs> problem solved. <laughs> Uh, now, having said all of that, if they do investigate and find out that that particular location of Taco Bell is shorting the weight of meat that goes into those things, well, that's also something that should be handled, right? That is dishonest, I guess. But even the the authors of the lawsuit, those, those uh, pesky Russo brothers who brought us Captain America Civil War, uh, <laughs> did admit that, the, that Taco Bell doesn't tell you how much meat is in those. Right. I remember back in the day, you remember this too, uh, during the like fast food wars, right, late 90s, McDonald's suddenly started just posting their nutrition facts just out in their dining room, right, and, and near the cash register, and then everybody else had to scramble to do the same thing. They did say, here's how much this weighs, here's how much fat and sugar and whatever is in here. Uh, and they were doing it at the same time that they launched. Remember when McDonald's used to do, like, fancy salads? Fan, quote, fancy salads? Yeah, yeah. They were doing that on purpose to be like, look, motherfuckers, you can come in here and get something that's not a salty grease bomb if you really want to. But we know what you want. And so, at that point, they were disclosing the amounts of stuff, the weights of stuff. Uh, I, I don't think there's any expectation that people have to do that. I don't think there's any... 
you're not being charged by the pound. It's not like this fellow went in and said, "Hey, give me a three pound crunch wrap for five forty nine right and they gave him a two and a half pound one i don't I don't understand the actual legality of that. There's no fraud if there was no expectation that the thing weighed a certain amount right and and all of all of the meat and all of the fillings could have been pushed to one end of the one that was in the photo. So it's yeah. like you want us just to like make yours and then spin it around our heads so that everything goes to the one end. Then you know we can do that. <laughs> this the side of the picture we can't see has like a beef balloon made out of a tortilla. Yes. <laughs> I just wanted to say beef balloon. <laughs> it's a good name. Good, good improv <laughs> name. If if nothing else. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's uh, really just silly. There's something else I was gonna say now. Is it gone? It might be gone. Um, oh yeah, even so, even when McDonald's or what when they talk about their quarter pounder, it's always pre cooked weight. Yep. Um, because then cooked weight's gonna vary for a variety of reasons. It does with any other burger. Um, yeah. So uh, you know because some stuff is gonna cook off, and how much cook off is cooked off depends on the the quality of beef or not. A, Quality might be the wrong word. Pardon the scratching. My uh, <laughs> dog is trying to make the hardwood floor more comfortable. Nice. Yeah, she's real smart. Uh, well, and the the other thing about pre-cooking weight, it's like when you buy a bag of chips and it says, you know, item is packed um, by weight, not by volume, because the chips have settled into the bottom through transit, and that's just what happens, yeah. right? So enough people have complained about stuff like that. Like, why isn't this bag of chips full all the way to the top? I'm like, well, because you'd have a bag of chip crumbs because they would have gotten destroyed on the way that's yeah. why uh enough people have complained about that or possibly there were lawsuits or i don't know and uh so an extra little thing that says hey stupids this is done by weight not by volume had to be added to the bag yeah <laughs> do you want us to stick our foot in there and smash all your chips down to make sure that the, we get we get a full uh, bag all right we'll do that yikes all right. Anything left to say about frivolous lawsuits? Stop it. Stop it with them. <laughs> I think it's funny they're real concerned about inflation in these, and yet they're going to cause uh, price increases at all these restaurants because of these. Well, I actually, I, the restaurants probably have these law firms on retainer because of this stupidity, so yeah. it, it may not, they may not incur any extra cost. But, uh, yeah. Enough. It, it, it'll be an annoyance. Taco Bell will have to. It is, it's funny that they're suing the entirety of Taco Bell because that is a franchise-based operation as opposed yeah. to like just that one franchisee because that's what Taco Bell is going to say. They're just going to roll them. They're going to be like, no, 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 no. Larry here <laughs> has been shorting the tacos. We're going to handle this inside. Here's a coupon for two free tacos. He also made the Crunchwrap uh, bigger on his menu, the uh, Crunchwrap. <laughs> so his fault. Right. Uh, before we do anything else, I just wanted to do sort of a uh, an announcement. This We don't really need to talk about this too much because we don't have a ton of information. This is from Food Safety News. A couple of days ago, flour recalled in Utah over filth in product. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're in Utah, watch out. I, I We probably should talk about this a little bit. Uh, Big J Mill and Elevator Company, Incorporated, of Brigham City, Utah, is recalling Golden Loaf Baker's flour unbleached flour and big j all-purpose flour unbleached because the products may contain filth the recall does not give more details on the type of filth yeah. so before you and i riff on that here recalled products golden loaf baker's flour unbleached packaged in five pound bags four bags per case there's lot numbers if you want to see them i'm sure steve will put this article up on the website uh all-purpose flour unbleached and 
Yeah, under those two names, Golden Loaf and Big J. So, Steve. Yes. Filth. Yes. Filth really could mean a lot of things. Yes. According to the FDA, this is the thing that pops up initially, um, food is considered quote-unquote filthy if it consists in whole or in part of any filthy, putrid, or decomposed substance. But they're okay. using filthy sort of in the definition there, so I don't know what that means. It has been prepared, <laughs> packed, or held under insanitary conditions whereby it may have been, become contaminated with filth or whereby it may have uh, have been rendered injurious. In, um, injurious? Yeah. Or uh, to health. Uh, contains any poisonous or deleterious substance or other contaminant. Um, but that doesn't really help us figure out what filth is, does it? Right. And it makes me wonder, ladies and gentlemen, if any of you out there know what could contaminate flour that would constitute filth that also wouldn't be disclosed as to what it is, please let us know. Right. So, like, you would think if it was. It is contaminated with insects. That would be a thing that would be indicated very specifically. If it was rodent droppings, I know that's a thing that is indicated very specifically. It just makes me, like, is it just dirt? Does it just have, like, sand in it? Or is it uh, mold because the packaging wasn't dry enough? I don't, I don't, it it makes me wonder. Yes. <laughs> So I just went to the FDA website, and uh, I'm look. They're looking at. Um, I just did a search for filth in their search bar, <laughs> um, and, and it's porn. <laughs> Let me just want to check the date on this one. Like, what if the flower is just real slutty? Yeah. <laughs> okay, some of these are pretty old. So this was from November 2005. But anyway, these are some of the uh, adulterated with insect filth, mold, rodent filth. So here they're actually saying, you know, what kind of filth it would be. <laughs> um, I'm assuming rodent filth is what I think it is. Right. Um, well, but one of these was, uh, one just says pathogen and filth and spices. <laughs> Sorry. That's just such a weird group of words together. Yeah. Uh, corn husks, in parentheses, four tamales, adulteration with filth. Um, so I don't know if because it's in part of a filth substance by reason of the presence therein of insects, insect damage, um, and of a decomposed substance by reason of the presence therein of moldy corn husks. This is issued, this was issued in, uh, 79, 80, and 88. (laughs) So it makes me wonder if they, if they're just drawing a distinction between like, this product will make you sick or this product is just kind of fucking gross. Yeah. Right. Because like if you had ground up bugs in your flour, it is likely to not make you sick. Right. But it is gross. Right. Same thing with like rodent droppings. Very unlikely to make you directly sick, especially something like flour. You're not going to eat flour raw. You're going to cook it. You're going to have cooked rodent droppings in your food. It's gross, but it's not going to make you sick. So maybe that's what the filth part of it is, that it's not a pathogen, that it's not a contamination, that it's not like a an infestation necessarily of something that's going to make you physically ill or is going to cause, you know, uh, an outbreak of E. coli or salmonella or something like that. But it is just like super gross. Maybe that's what filth is short for. It's just like super gross. (laughs) I do think it's, it's intentionally broad so that it covers a variety of, uh, um, of things. Um, so they don't have to, you know, 
say exactly what it is. They can just say this is filthy and then le let the people wonder. <laughs> Which makes me wonder if there were multiple things going on, right? Like if that milling facility had an outbreak of or an infestation of, you know, insects and rodents and something else. I don't know, maybe there's a bird in there. I don't know, right? Like maybe it was so poorly managed that or there was damage to the building. I don't know. There was a tornado or something. And the building got damaged and they didn't seal all the cracks up. And there were mice and, and bugs all in there. Yeah. Gross. Okay, so this is from CBS News. This is from 2010. But it's just it's just uh, the um, headline. And we won't go through the 11 of them. But it says, 11 totally disgusting things the FDA allows in your food. Yeah. Um, so it says the FDA handbook catchily called food defect, uh, defect action levels, levels of natural or unavoidable defects in food that present no health hazards for humans, says that filth is, quote, objectionable matter cont uh, contributed by insects, rodents, and birds, decomposed material, and miscellaneous matter such as sand, soil, glass, rust, or other foreign substances. So huh. filth could be any or all of those. Um, and then it, this, because of this article's the clickbaity thing about um, what could actually be in your food, it, it also says that the handbook says it is economically impractical, impractical to grow, harvest, or process raw products that are totally free of non-hazardous, naturally occurring, unavoidable defects. Right. Your food will never be 100% free of other crap because it was grown out in nature and that's just how it is. Yeah. You do your best. And you hope everybody else is doing their best, and that's that's it. Um, so it's kind of then knowing that, like, it has to be a substantial amount of filth for them to recall the flour, right? Or something yeah. that's very, like, shouldn't be in flour at all. Or it was something that was discovered. Like, let's say, let's say there are rodent droppings, and they're ground into a flour, right? That may or may not be caught right away. But if there was, like, a tail, then that's the kind of thing that you would see right away. And then that would prompt an investigation. Yeah. So if they found something big that led them to discover a whole bunch of little small things, then, yeah, I could see that. So, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Super gross. Yep. The Russo brothers are on it. <laughs> <laughs> I did, speaking of that, and that's, that's a great segue. So, this goes back to... August 1st, which is not that long ago now that I'm thinking about it. And again, this is another food safety news article. Ladies and gentlemen, unless you are already paranoid about your food being uh, unsafe, this is a great listserv to be on because it's not only international, which is cool because then you get to find out that like the Irish are terrible at barbecuing and they keep getting people sick. It's nice to just have a, a, a generalized idea of how things are going. You get to see trends. So this is from, like I said, August 1st. Canadian Food Service Agency implements temporary measures to address U.S. romaine lettuce. The short story on this, Steve, the Canadians looked at all of the different E. coli outbreaks we've had in the States with romaine and have said, you know what? Fuck y'all. We're not getting romaine from you anymore for a bit. <laughs> Which, that's the kind of thing that if I was not on this email service, I doubt I ever would have heard because... Let's be clear, our news is a little curated these days, and people in the States are not going to want to know that Canada, the nicest country in the world, doesn't want to buy romaine from us because we keep getting people sick with it. Yeah. So, quote, to mitigate the risk associated with E. coli 0157H7 in romaine lettuce from the United States, 
The Canadian Food Inspection Agency has announced the implementation of temporary safe food for Canadians license conditions. Right. Which basically means nah. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't th I think I just skimmed this because I thought you'd mentioned something about Romaine when we were just talking about supply chain stuff or whatever uh, and, yeah. and how your uh, purveyors communicate with you. Um, and so I thought this was just kind of related to that. But uh, um, hey, in the short term, does this mean that your co the cost of Romaine for you will go down? <laughs> because they're having to keep it domestic? Possibly. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually, we talked about this very briefly in the last episode, I'm starting to use a company called Common Market, which is a national company, but they have local offices where they broker for small farms who either don't have the capability of getting to a market or it's not cost effective for them to do that, but they don't want to do direct sales to restaurants. And so I get a price list emailed to me. Here's what we have. Here's how much it costs. And here's where it's, uh, here's where it's from. And Romaine right now in the Chicagoland area is shockingly cheaper than commodity romaine that I could get from my purveyor. So it's the right time of year for it, too. Like, if you're going to get greens in Chicago, we're in the middle of that. Uh, like, in February, that will not be the case. You know what I'm saying? Back to this article, though. Quote, during the designated period, this is the, the uh, safe food for Canadians license conditions period. Importers of romaine lettuce and salad mixes containing romaine lettuce from the U.S. must adhere to one of the following requirements. One, declare that the product does not originate from the Salinas Valley counties of California. Or, two, submit an attestation form and certificates of analysis for each shipment, confirming that the romaine lettuce is free from detectable levels of E. coli. Nobody's going to do that. You're not going to test all of your fucking lettuce going to Canada. The cost of that would be shocking. <laughs> Well, they so don't it's, have to test it's, it. It's they just yeah. have to sign the thing saying that they uh, that it, yeah, I it's guess there's free that. of coli. <laughs> so uh, it's not a ban, but it's that barrier to entry that affects a ban. Yeah. You know? Although there's there's uh, romaine growing areas of Arizona that are outside of this ban, so I'm sure they'll continue to sell to Canada. The question is, can Rebecca Romaine still go to Canada? Pardon? Can Rebecca Romaine? Rebecca Romaine Stamos? Yeah. Well, no more longer Stamos. <laughs> oh, that's right. She's in space now. She's on Strange New Worlds. She doesn't need to go to fucking Canada. <laughs> she can go wherever she wants. Exactly. Can't stop someone from beaming into Canada. Let's just beam all this Romaine lettuce to Canada. Man. And so, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you're curious about why it is that Romaine keeps uh, getting E. coli in it, if you've never grown romaine, it, which is fine, lots and lots of people have not, it comes out of the ground as a sprout, right? And as the plant grows, the romaine, as you've seen it in the store, it grows straight up, right? Now, what that means is that the leaves, they're fairly tight together, but water can still get in there, right? And the thing is, is that it sort of acts like a really big filter in as much as any water that falls into that romaine will seep out. But anything that goes in there with the water stays, right? So let's say you're fertilizing a field of romaine and you're spraying fertilizer across the top, which is still the most consistent and uh, cost-effective way to fertilize. That fertilizer will hit the top of the romaine and will drip down through the romaine. The water solution that it's in will seep out, but then anything that's still sort of solid in that fertilizer will stay. Lots of fertilizers in this country are still made out of 
cattle manure, which is where E. coli comes from. It's a, it's a gut bacteria, right? So basically, if you're spraying cow poop at a romaine, which is like a leafy colander, and the cow poop stays stuck in the colander when you sell it to somebody and they eat it, because you generally don't cook romaine, because as we all remember, grilled Caesar is a goddamn abomination that is still there and if that fertilizer was ever contaminated with e coli that's how you get it that's i would say nearly a hundred percent of the time that's how you get it do you think at any point someone will go you know what maybe we should test the manure for e coli <laughs> before we spread it on the thing we're going to eat or, you know or would that that not, would be great would that not help because the e coli forms after the fact so several things at once. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It is a, ooh, is it a virus? No, it's a bacteria. I think it, I, is it a bacteria or a virus? It's bacteria. Okay. I think. If I'm, it's a bacteria, then it doesn't matter. Uh, because I was going to say testing it first would be great, and then you just don't use it, but then you'd have to throw it away somewhere. If it was a virus, then my idea wouldn't have worked, but because of the nutrients in fertilizer aren't really heat sensitive it makes me wonder if you could pasteurize the fertilizer yeah just toast it kill everything that's in it and then use it as a fertilizer is essentially just a way to get nitrogen into the soil that's mostly what you're doing um yeah according to cdc e coli is a are they i'm sorry are bacteria found in the environment foods and intestines of people and animals e coli are a okay. large and diverse group of bacteria Although most strains of E. coli are harmless, others can make you sick. Some kinds of E. coli can cause diarrhea, while others cause urinary tract infections, respiratory illness, and pneumonia, and other illnesses. Yeah. Oh, E. coli is no joke. E. coli is one of those where it's like, well, they died of dehydration. It's like, yeah, because the E. coli was making them poop, like, constantly. Yeah. And throw up a lot. <laughs> and you can't keep any food down. Diarogenic E. coli is what that one is. Uh, there is uh, ento... No, I'm enterota enterotoxigenic e coli and shiga or shiga toxin producing e coli yeah those are the fun ones right and so again it's all of these recalls of romaine all of these safety concerns about that and it's not just romaine like cabbage is the same way leeks are the same way like anything that grows up from the ground in a blossoming sort of a flowering uh motion if you're throwing a bunch of cow poop derived fertilizer on it there's a chance that it's going to stay stuck in the leaves that's just what that is now would it be possible to take a ground-based fertilizing system like think about it as just like a rubber garden hose with holes poked in the sides of it run that down every single row of plants and pump fertilizer through that is that possible yes does that sound like a huge pain in the ass for the farmers also yes i i don't i don't know what to tell you about that i tell you what the inside of those hoses would be covered in filth it would be filthy yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> speaking of do you what did you get a chance to read or watch the video about the stock cropper the uh livestock barn that was driving around that dude's farm oh um i didn't i didn't know there was a video but i was um yeah i perused the article oh man everybody okay so we're gonna take a hard shift here to talk about farming so i'm not a farmer i grow some stuff in the backyard but i'm not a farmer and i'm not really cut out for it i've 
toyed with the idea in the past, being like, oh, I'll have a small farm and whatever. And the way that chefs think about the stuff, be like, oh, so we'll grow what we're going to cook and then we'll have like a bed and breakfast and the food will all kind of, it's that, no, that's way too complicated for me. And if somebody wanted me to be like the chef proprietor of a place that did that, sure. But the farming of it, I'm, it, I'm too old now to learn about all that stuff from scratch. <laughs> However, there are people out there who are looking at the way farming is done and going, you know what? We're getting less return every year for more input. We're having to put more fertilizer into the soil. We're having to put more pesticides on. You know, like all of these things are not working and it's increasing. Like it's, it's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's getting worse faster, yeah. right? Like it's accelerating. That's the word I was looking for. So some of these younger farmers who are like generational farmers are looking at stuff like this fella here. Zach Smith, right, in uh, Iowa, like right on the Iowa-Minnesota border, was trying to figure out a way to not only continue having his farm, but take better care of his livestock, take better care of his soil and his fields and all of this kind of stuff. But he wanted to be able to do it all at once. And so what he did is he invented this thing called uh, the – oh, I lost it. It's really funny. So this guy reminds me, like he's he's one of our people, the Cluster Cluck 5000, yeah. right? Short story. Ladies and gentlemen, if you imagine a field of corn, right? Take about a 12-foot wide section all the way down the field and just get rid of the corn that's in there and have it just be empty, right? And do that every so often so that the field is essentially striped with these spaces that have nothing, right? He built a machine that's a small barn on wheels, right? And it moves forward about a dozen feet and then stops. And in the front of it are is an open space area where sheep can eat the whatever's on the ground, right? So it's like the, the leftovers from the previous harvest, right? The like corn stems and stalks and shit like that, right? But behind that penned-in space is a is their barn, little-ass barn that they live in. Behind that is an open space for all of these chickens who also have a space in that barn, which would be forward of them. This thing just periodically moves itself forward down that strip that doesn't have anything currently planted in it, and the sheep and the chickens eat all of the extra stuff like what you had been talking about in a previous episode of your grandfather letting the pigs out into yeah. the farm into the fields after the corn harvest to eat the corn that had just fallen to make sure that corn wasn't going to grow the next year as volunteers this is a way for that area to get sort of cleared out of the leftover stuff and ladies and gentlemen animals are filthy and they're just constantly pooping right so this thing is this little mobile barn thing as it moves along periodically the sheep are being fed, and they're pooping like crazy, and the chickens are being fed, and they're pooping like crazy, and they're also clearing that field for the next planting of whatever it is. So then that thing turns the corner and comes back, and the it's up to you how you schedule it, right? So, like, you could harvest a field of wheat, turn this thing loose on it, and it just goes through. It's like a Roomba made out of animals with a little <laughs> barn. Except it's a Roomba that also then fertilizes that ground for the next thing you're going to plant. So it's this wholly encapsulated system that takes care of the animals, 
and sort of uh, prepares and kind of rehabs the ground for the next thing you're going to grow. It's genius. Absolute genius. And also, I mean, part of it was um, also the um, um, ability to, because he's he's a small farmer, not a huge uh, agribusiness sort of, you know, millions of acres or whatever so this was also a way to keep livestock but also not devote your entire field to livestock so right you have a little bit of livestock and you're still able to plant um a cash crop of some kind um it's to to just kind of diversify and um and utilize your land as best you can without having to you know have thousands of acres to uh um to to farm so that you have you know pasture as well as um fields for planting etc right and so what i also like about this system is that they went through and thought about everything so it's solar powered the actual contraption itself it's got cameras on it sort of like my new car does i have a subaru that does that thing where it like watches the road for you and if you start to drift out of your lane it notices and it lets you know yeah it has that same sort of thing it also has gps on it and it's controlled via an app so you can either set it to run and stop on a certain schedule or you could just drive the fucking thing around from your phone yeah which is pretty crazy and in a great way yeah it's wild i i watched ladies and gentlemen i i encourage you to look at the civil eats article there's also a um a video the video's long but these guys are are sort of quietly and calmly very passionate about this thing and they're showing off obviously it's got to be like the fifth generation machine but it really does work and uh it, it was it was delightful to watch watch it in operation yeah and i'm all for anything that would will um make family farms sustainable you know that somewhat so so family farms can continue to exist and and uh um because the agribusiness is um not great i don't think <laughs> right so yeah very what cool about? uh i'm just gonna read this this um paragraph because it it's sort of uh what do you call it? It, it? it summarizes this whole thing. You will need to know that there's a thing called Concentrated Animal Feeding Operations, CFAOS, which is uh, whenever people talk about animals being raised in cages and pens and big, huge barns that have a billion animals, this is what they're talking about. So stock cropping, which is what this guy's talking about, on the other hand, involves rotating crops with pasture strips so that a smaller number of animals leave behind just enough nutrients on the land to help corn grow there in the following season replacing the expensive leaky fertilizer systems used by most commodity farmers meanwhile the animals themselves live in less confined spaces eating the plants and insects in the pasture strips smith has calculated that if there were 1.4 million cluster cluck nanos which is the smaller version of this operating on about 1.9 million acres of forest million acres of forage strips within 15 of iowa's 99 counties full-time they could theoretically replace that state's CAFOs. So they could be raising enough animals at the same time that they're still farming crops that they could get rid of the feedlot system. Yeah. Just in Iowa alone. They could, like, he's mathematically, he's saying they could do this thing. That's that's amazing, which means he should watch his back. <laughs> right. Oh, yo, no, absolutely. Con Agra is about to show up at his door. Mr. Agra ain't happy. You know. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, my uh, my name is Mr. Monsanto, and... Um... <laughs> it's 
I absolutely do not want to trash farmers because these are some of the hardest working people out there. And there has been an incremental shift in this country away from the model that you know, Steve, from your family. The mom and pop family farm that not only raises animals for slaughter, chickens for eggs, produce right but takes care of the land at the same time has a connection to that land there's been an incremental shift over the last two three generations maybe four of people getting away from that and those small family farms being enveloped by these large corporations that all they're doing essentially agribusiness is a, a type of strip mining really there is no care given for the land and the soil itself that's why you know i've been learning from my wife so much about you know Grasses that have deeper root bases to make sure that uh, soil is not being disturbed and the root there holds onto it so it doesn't erode and all that kind of stuff. People are not thinking about that sort of thing on a large scale, right? Something like this, this fellow is saying, look, let me make it easy for you. You buy this machine, you chuck a bunch of animals in it, I'll show you how to use the app, and you can use X amount of less fertilizer. Because that's the other thing. The fertilizer is a band-aid. Agriculture doesn't want you to know this, but like... You can grow. I don't really fertilize my plants here right. that we we grow. I did one time. I kind of goosed the soil just because I didn't I, I didn't think my tomatoes were doing as well as they could be. But like fertilizing is because you've taken too much out. If you have to fertilize, it's because you've taken too much out of the soil. There's a way, like what this guy is proposing, to just have it all be a single system that doesn't require that. Yeah. But then, of course, big agribusiness also has a hand in selling the fertilizer. So, of course, they, they want to maintain that particular status quo. Yeah. Well, and um, the agribusiness stuff is also all, all about whatever's going to get them the most profit for that year or whatever. So, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily thinking long term about the soil. I remember somewhere in my grandpa's stuff at some point also seeing because there was a huge shift after the Dust Bowl. Um, in yeah. how farming happened, because the, re the realization was, you know what, we can't just keep growing the same thing over and over again because the topsoil is blowing away um so you know we need to do crop rotation and stuff and the other thing and this is the brochure or whatever that i saw was uh from the government sent to farmers about how to uh plant with the contours of the land instead of just straight row straight row straight row it's yeah. you know to uh, for soil preservation because that after the dust bowl that was a huge deal and um, there were studies, I'm sure, and, and whatever, and it, the, the best practices were sent to everybody saying, hey, if you're farming, this is best practices for not letting your topsoil blow to D.C. and out into the Atlantic Ocean um, <laughs> or, you know, wherever all that stuff ended up. And he still had that. So, uh, um, you know, this is another – this could be another shift. This isn't coming from the federal government because a giant um, cloud of dust blew from Oklahoma to D.C., but it, yeah. it is one of those things that could be, you know, definitely be for the um, greater good of uh, uh, agriculture in this country. Um, because as we were even just talking about uh, slaughterhouses and everything that happened in the pandemic, um, having these smaller clusters of smaller herds of animals, smaller groups of animals as well, I think um, could benefit both in terms of we have to have slaughterhouses closer to the animals or, uh, you know, maybe we'll have more of that sort of thing. But also um, herds that aren't so huge so that if one animal gets sick, you have to cull the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, smaller smaller flocks in, in more locations, smaller herds in more locations seems like a good idea to me as well. 
Yeah, that and there's this this sense. Maybe I'm the only one who has this sense. There's this sense that farmers are resistant to change. They're resistant to automation. They're resistant to uh, progress and advancement. And I think that's inaccurate. I don't think that's the case at all. I think farmers are very flexible. I think they have to be. You get a hailstorm at the wrong part of your season, you lose all of your corn. So these are people who need to be able to pivot. They need to be able to bounce back and be flexible. And I get the feeling that like this is also like what we talked about in the past about designing restaurant worker robots. That there's no reason to try to replicate a human motion with a robot. You design the robot to cook the food the way a robot would, right? So this conversation that this fellow Smith had with some of his friends about this idea that eventually became the the cluster cluck. Originally, he wanted to have pens. So he would run these long pens back and forth throughout the field, and it would be corn, and then it would be a pen full of animals, and then corn and a pen full of animals. And they called it, um, I'm going to go back to the top here, stock cropping. Which is more of an old-fashioned approach, right? Fine. And he was thinking about doing that. And then as they got talking, they were like, wait a minute. We're thinking about this in like an 1800s kind of a way. How could we take this? How do we get that effect but apply to it technology we have now? And that's where this machine came from. Which is, how would a robot do it? Would a robot look at designating for an entire season this strip of land just for animals and you just leave them there would a robot do that or would a robot say you know what we can do we can Roomba this shit up and move the animals around because the animals don't have to stay in one place the corn does but we can move the animals around and sort of direct them to where we want them to go where they're going to do the best work and we can fucking plant right behind them I wouldn't be surprised if this machine works to find a version of it that plants <laughs> has a third section. There's a section for the sheep, there's a section for the chicken, and there's a section that plants right behind them. I wouldn't be surprised to see that at all. Right? Now, eventually you get into a matrix-looking ass thing, like where we had the the massive fields where humans are grown, they're not born, right? Yeah. Maybe this is a first step toward that. I'm okay. The matrix is still like 200 years away. <laughs> well, so far we're not putting humans in these things, and we still can't fertilize yeah. fields with human waste, so... Right. You get E. coli. Yeah, exactly. Um, so long as we're talking about farming, let's touch on the cherry business a little bit. You want to? Sure. So yeah. um, this is a thing that my sister noticed. So she lives up in the Traverse City area and not too far from her, uh, a field of cherry trees, like just at the end of the street sort of thing. And she noticed a little while ago that the... Um, uh, farmer had cut down uh, a majority of the, of the trees and then cut down another swath not too long afterward and then planted a, a bunch of stuff that we thought um, she, she couldn't tell whether it was beans or, or wheat or whatever but planted a, a, a crop that wasn't was not cherry and had a bunch of mature cherry trees that were here in what heretofore had been an orchard and we were speculating on what it was that had caused him to do this, whether it was... We didn't know if there were some laws up in the area because it is cherry country right? about whether or not you can develop land that has cherry trees on it. So this was a way around it to get to build a housing development. We, You know, all kinds of this stuff. And then um, she saw in the paper that um, they actually got a comment from the, the farmer who um, 
said that, uh, so this is the basic, uh, the perspective of the farmer. Um, the big processors are coming out with such low prices that it still wouldn't have paid to leave those trees in, uh, William said. I told a guy the other day that if I went fishing on Lake Leelanau and caught one walleye, I'd be better off than growing a million pounds of tarts. At least I'd have dinner. At least I'd have dinner, yeah. Um, so the price of cherries was so low that it no longer was um, worth it for him to keep the tart cherry trees there even though they had cherries on them and could have been harvested he cut them all down um and then you and i found when or uh when we were looking at this stuff uh, or you found the uh average tart cherry crop could threaten summertime desserts which was just an article talking about how there's going to just be an average crop of tart cherries and so yeah. maybe um, not it's not like it's a low crop but it's not a, a bumper crop and that's going to uh um decrease the amount of tart cherries that are available and then uh found another article about uh a study that just talked about how growing tart cherries um the farmers were spending more growing them than they were getting selling them yeah well and so you're absolutely right what we're seeing is is two things happening at the same time one of which is the price the farmers are getting paid per tonnage of cherries has gone down and that's the that's the the second article right uh study or um oh from farm progress study reveals losses for tart cherry growers but that was a year ago right so then this year what we're seeing is that instead of 244 million pounds of tart cherries that we saw in 2022 when the prices had started to go down the estimates this year is 203 million pounds, right? So like 40 some odd million pounds less. And so the reporting on it is kind of cranky toward the farmers themselves, the folks who run the cherry orchard saying, well, we're only going to get an average crop. These people are intentionally growing less because the price to them has gone down. So why would they grow more? Why would they spend the time and effort and money to grow cherries that are not bring they're not they're not going to make money off of them right? right so then they make they grow fewer of them and now the reporting is oh no we're not gonna have enough cherries we're like well sorry market you did this to yourself yeah and it's and it's got to be the greed of the um producers right yeah because they're however the, suppressing the the um the price that people are getting per pound of uh of cherry in order and and because i doubt that we saw a drop in uh you know pie filling price or right the price of cherries if you're just getting them in your produce section or whatever because they still they're gonna make all the money they can off it and keep it but yeah. it's just not getting back to the farmer the people that are actually producing the thing yeah i'm not a huge fan of government regulation right like to a certain degree i'm a small government kind of guy Except when it comes to, like, safety stuff, right? So the people who are, like, blanket, I'm here for small government, they tend to be lying, right? The people who say that they're um, libertarians, boy, they sure want the fire department to show up when their house is on fire. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for small government unless it's a safety thing or unless it's a consumer protection thing, right? Because that's what the government's for. We pay our taxes for the government to kind of look out for us, right? Fire, uh, police, things like that. But also keep our food safe and keep these big corporations in check because we have not quite reached a part of history that's like dystopian sci-fi yet where there's no governments there's just these mega corporations we're almost there but we're not quite there yet but you're absolutely right price that producers are 
paying to farmers for cherries is going down. Do we see cherries being cheaper at the grocery store? No. That money has to go somewhere. And you're right. That is a lack of regulation and a lack of just uh, keeping an eye on people who are gouging. Right. Most of inflation, it turns out, has had nothing to do with anything other than opportunistic price gouging. All of these companies that are like, oh, no, we had, uh, you know, all of these chickens get sick and die. Now all of your eggs are, are nine dollars a dozen. They posted record profits, not record sales, not record revenues, record profits. Yeah, it is gouging. It's price gouging. And that's not being handled. Right. Like, what do we have a government for other than to protect us from these huge corporations? Right. That should be the point, except the huge corporations also donate to all of these campaigns of the people in government. And it just goes around and around and around. Right. Yeah. I would much prefer Traverse City cherry farmers get paid a billion dollars for their cherries and cherry prices stay static at the store. That's what I want, obviously, but those things sort of fluctuate. But the price, especially with inflation doing what it's doing now, shouldn't go down to the farmers and then go up to us. That's the opposite of what should happen. Right. And, and I mean, the theory is that, you know, the market will bear what the market can bear and the price can only reach so high and then people will stop buying cherries. But... Um, we're not programmed that way as people. We're programmed to yeah. be like, I need cherries for my cherry pie for Thanksgiving. Um, so I, you know, I have to, I have to get cherries, and I guess I'll only make one pie this year instead of two or whatever. But I'm still going to pay the extra dollar or two for the cherries, despite the fact that the farmer, the person growing it, is going out of business and eating their shoes because they can't um, afford to live off the price that they're getting for their cherries. Yeah. Well, and we never see prices go back down. Because as soon as a company, as soon as a big corporation, like let's talk about the oil cartels, right? Like that sort of thing. As soon as they see that the market will bear an increase, even though they cry poverty or they say they have some sort of a problem or whatever, there's an embargo or something and they're like, oh, gas is going to be more expensive for a while. It never comes back down. Yeah. We just get used to it, right? And that, again, it's long-term, long-game price gouging. Yes. And, and it's just putting money into people's pockets who already have money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like who's I mean, not for nothing. I, I spent $60 to fill my car up with gas yesterday. Yeah. Not terribly happy about that. Um, and, and I, I mean, uh, who does it really hurt if we pay these farmers at, uh, a living, um, it wouldn't be a wage, a living. Uh, uh, well, a living. Yeah for for their what what they're producing i mean because otherwise like the guy that lives near my sister they're not going to do it anymore um and then good luck finding fresh michigan cherries in your supermarket because you're gonna there people will have to import cherries which he was quoted in that article talking about cheap imports as well um being being another thing that uh prevented um or or was depressing the the cherry prices uh, which, I mean, if they're not earning a living off it, I can't imagine if people are importing stuff for for less. But that's, again, where the government can step in and be like, we're going to put a tariff on cherries from wherever. I'm not saying well, that's warranted, but whatever. When he's talking about imports, he's talking about Washington and Oregon. Oh, is he? their seasons are earlier. Okay. You'll see, especially if you're in the Midwest, you'll see uh, Washington and Oregon cherries in the grocery stores before you'll see Traverse City cherries, which is hilarious because Cherry Festival is always around the 4th of July, but Traverse City's cherry harvest usually isn't actually until about right now, till like the first week of August. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So. Meanwhile, I have a bunch of cherry pits in my fridge because I learned how to sprout them. And so I need to check those next weekend. They've been in the fridge for about a week. And so I might just fucking grow my own cherries. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I think depending on um, do your research because I, I was looking at it a little bit. But there's a type of cherry that you need two trees for. Um, or, you know, so that there's the same thing yeah. with my dumb tomatillos. But my, my whatever tree my grandfather had, and again, I don't know if they were tart or sweet cherries. Um, but they, he had a cherry tree in his front yard, and he only had the one. So either there was one close enough that the bees were bringing the pollen, or you only needed the one. So I don't know the rules. Yeah. Well, I also, like, it would take 20 years for these to actually produce cherries. <laughs> I just can't stop sprouting and propagating things. Like, I have this one medium-sized pot that I threw, like, a hundred basil seeds into. I don't know why I did it, but it grew this massive amount of basil. So I keep cutting the tops off of them to encourage them to grow out rather than up. But I learned that you just put them into a bowl of water, and within, like, between three and six days, they start putting out roots. And so now I have six more basil plants that are potted, plus this one, and then I have three more on my windowsill right now that have put roots out that I need to put into a pot. So I'm going to have a basil empire, which is rad. <laughs> but then I also sprouted a Honeycrisp apple seed. Because I had an apple that was starting to get kind of wrinkly and old, right? And so I cut it up for the chickens. And when I cut it open, one of the seeds had sprouted. So I was like, fuck yeah, I threw that into some dirt. And I figured out how to, or I learned how to sprout a mango pit as well. So I have that in a pot of dirt now too. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to have all kind of trees at my house <laughs> that aren't going to give me any fruit for 20 years. Right. Hey, 20 years from now, you're going to be rolling in it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Ben's exotic you pick. <laughs> well, the trick will be not having them be so massive that I can't do anything with them. Because, like, this might be the last summer that I put my avocados outside. They all shot up over the summer with all that direct sunlight, right? Yeah. Getting them back into the house, it's going to be a little tricky. Like, some of these are <laughs> tall. One of them is... Oh, got to be five feet tall. All right, like these are large plants. So I'm in a little bit of trouble space-wise. But again, we bought a house that's slightly larger than our previous house, so we'll be okay. And I'm not – like if anything's taking up space in my house, I would much rather it be plants than anything else. Yeah. Much, much, I thought you were going to say much rather it be plants than animals. Also true. Yeah. How much taller are those going to get? I mean, are you at what point are you like, well, I guess I guess the Yule log this year is avocado. <laughs> <laughs> so as long as you cut the top sprout, the top uh, bud of a tree like that, it will send out because it'll have like two leaves that stick out of the main trunk and then it'll put a bud on top of that. If you cut that bud, those two leaves will turn into uh, branches. Okay. And so you'll turn it into more of like a bush than a tree. Gotcha. You just have to keep an eye on it. So you have a five-foot bush right now. Two of them. I have three of them. <laughs> three? Maybe four. My coffee plants really enjoy being outside this year, too. And you have, I mean, um, I don't know about the ones that you currently have uh, or are in possession of, but I know you have gotten... Uh, cherries, coffee cherries, yeah. off of some. I mean, never enough to roast and get a cup of coffee, no. but you have gotten coffee cherries off some plants. Yep. It. Uh, these are still a little too young for that, and I put them when I repotted them initially from their original pots into bigger ones. The soil that I used was not great, so being outside this summer has really been helpful for them, because they're getting just like other stuff, you know, like actual rainwater and whatever. But uh, no, they're they're still very small. Someday, coffee and Ben's coffee empire. 
Chicago, uh, Chicago will be on the list of. Uh, do you want your Sumatran? Do you want your uh, uh, S- Samoan? What's the- Let's see. What kind of co- coffee do I? I mean, it's Sumatra, Colombia. Yeah. You know, you get coffee from um, Ecuador, Mexico. So Chicago's going to be on the list someday. Yep, got to be. I'm really tempted. I don't. I don't know how I would manage it throughout the winter but man am i tempted to put a greenhouse in my backyard and leave those guys outside all winter so that there would be like a nice warm place to go hang out during the winter outside but i don't it gets so cold in chicago that unless i were to actively heat the greenhouse in the winter i don't know that i could keep those plants from dying but it's really expensive to heat a greenhouse because i mean it just is either plastic or glass or whatever and it would just yeah. vent heat out like you'd have to be doing it constantly yeah you need you need to tap some some of that uh famous chicago geothermal uh <laughs> <laughs> i've seen greenhouses that over the winter you replace like one or two of the top panels with solar panels and you have a solar heater but even then, like that whole getup is really expensive. So you're either spending the money on heating electricity from your house or you're spending it on a really expensive solar heater. Yeah. So I don't know. I need to think about it some more. Yeah. You'd think they'd, well, I mean, I guess you still need the sunlight. I was like, you'd think they'd make something you'd just put over all the glass that was really high uh, R factor insulation. And then, uh, uh, but then you still need the sunlight. So unless yeah. you just put LEDs in there. I don't know. That sounds like a project for if I ever have a lot of money yeah. laying around. <laughs> Meanwhile, people with vertical farms and whatnot in Chicago are like, we've already done this. Okay, we, exactly. We, we do it better. Come, just buy our yeah. stuff. Right. Well, and there's better things for me to do with my money right now than to get a vanity greenhouse that I'm going <laughs> to kind of not use. You know, like we have a garage that's about to fall down that I need to fix. Hey, you know what? Could fit where a garage is. hundred <laughs> percent. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the only other thing I had to talk about, Steve, today is that uh, I don't know that we talked about fancy ice cream. Did we talk about the place that I went? No, you sent a picture, right? Yeah. So we spoke a little while back about fancy ice cream either being good or terrible, you know, and uh, I had asked for input from you folks out there in the world about where you go to get goofy-ass ice cream. And I had forgotten uh, a listener named Nicole, who I've known for years, sent me an, uh, an email recommending Village Creamery, which is up in Niles or Skokie, somewhere north of the city. And uh, I had forgotten I'd already been there. So I went back, my daughter and I went back, and uh, it is, I don't know exactly what their... Um, racial background is there it's it's an asian ice cream store of some sort and i had the uh ube the purple sweet potato ice cream and it was amazing my daughter had cookies and cream because they do a broad variety they must have had 40 flavors while we were there got this super rich deep dark chocolate one for my son but the uh the ube was interesting you could definitely tell it was a sweet potato it was definitely very purple but there wasn't much else going on so i don't know that's a flavor that i like by itself uh i recalled that the first time i went there i had the sweet red bean ice cream which was great because it is to me weird 
right? It's very, very uh, yeah. interesting and uh, definitely a unique flavor to me. So I'm I'm tempted to go back and try some of the the odder ones that I've not encountered before because now I trust them. Now I know these folks know what they're doing. <laughs> Very nice. I was a little. I didn't know if the purple one you sent a picture of, because you sent a picture of the chocolate uh, container on your seat, and then the purple cone. I was like, oh, is it just chocolate, but it's purple? Um, <laughs> right. Uh, but that makes more sense. Uh, yeah. So they're um, Asian flavors exploring. It seems like as well. Then, right? Yeah. With the the red bean and and other things. I was trying to find their, it looks like their website only goes to a Facebook page. So I, I was going to see if I could find flavors and I'm not having any luck. Um, so I will stop. <laughs> um, but that's great. I mean, and it, it doesn't seem, it's not like a chain either, right? I don't believe so. So that's even better, I think. I love little, little places like that that are uh, um, kind of doing their own thing and succeeding at it. They have a durian ice cream, which is something I've never had and I've been warned against, but I've been warned against it by people who are kind of twitchy, so I don't know about that. Um, I don't know if I should be afraid of it, but they have, like, matcha. They have um, banana, you know. Matcha makes total sense. Those uh, Matcha sold real well when I was at uh, Starbucks. A lot of, like... Uh, coconut, you know, citrus flavors, things like that. Okay, so YouTube, anyway, um, I don't, if it's to be trusted, says Village Creamery Filipino made ice cream in Niles, Illinois. Okay, there you go. Um, so, uh, yeah, very cool. Um, any, anyone around there, go check it out. Um, very fun. We don't, we have one of the, uh, a, oh, there we go. Eight, uh, that's April flavors, but let's see what their flavors were in April. Banana, Superman, Cookie Monster, Matcha, Blue Moon, Whiskey, Guava, Salted Caramel, um, Macapuno. Don't know what that is. M-A-C-A-P-U-N-O. Uh, watermelon Sorbet, uh, Cantaloupe. Ugh. Um, that's a personal thing. Lavender, Mango Sorbet, Turtle Fudge. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um... That's a, you laughing at turtle fudge makes it a poop joke, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Uh, Macapuno is apparently a variety of coconut. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah, so there you go. Um, birthday cake, tiramisu, strawberry, grapefruit sorbet, vanilla, Rocky Road, mocha, uh, S-A-P-I-N, sapin, 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 sapin. It's that word repeated twice. Um, tai Chi, jackfruit, coco piña. Or cocopina, a durian. There you go. Uh, pistachio almond butter pecan cookie dough ube queso k. Oh wow! I do want to try the. I want to try the cheese one. Sapin sapin. It turns out is a layered glutinous rice and coconut dessert in Philippine cuisine. Oh, so it's they good. have ice cream based on it. Yeah, that sounds not too bad. Um, maize strawberry cheesecake Thai coffee, which is different than Thai tea. Uh, thai tea buko panda. Buko Panda? I don't know. Oh, no, I'm sorry, not. It's A-N at the end. Um, uh, Pandan, Pandan, Buko Pandan. Uh, avocado, espresso chip, Adzuki red bean, that's the one you said you've had, right? 
Pardon? The Adzuki red bean. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lychee, cherry vanilla, cotton candy, mango, dark and white chocolate, cookies and cream, Halo Halo or Hollow Hollow. Uh, mint chip, Reese's peanut butter cup chocolate. You know what I love about their menu is that you can go and get, um, you can go with someone who wants something regular and get something strange. Yes. Or, you know, Ag- agreed. Strange is, you know, not strange, strange, but out of the ordinary in terms of what I'm used to in my experience with ice cream. Because uh, I've been to some places where it was all just kind of off the wall and there was no sort of, well, maybe I need a palate cleanser that's just, you know, mint mint chip. There's no Midwest white guy safe place. Yes. <laughs> and this has so, that as well as the yeah. interesting stuff. Buko Pandan, quote, Buko Pandan is a popular Filipino dessert made using young coconut, pandan leaves, or in parentheses, or screw pine leaves. Don't know what that is. <laughs> and sago pearls. Interesting. Sounds good. Yeah. I love the picture of this. Uh, whoa, how did you pronounce it? Sappin sappin? Sappin sappin? Yeah. Um, uh, it, it's very kind of colorful and uh, yet yeah, gelatin based, or I don't know, no, glutinous rice. Yeah. And coconut. So it, it looks it sort of like it could have had um, gelatin in it, but it, I mean, it's fun. It, I like the colors. I'd, I'd definitely give it a go. Yeah. So next time you're in town, we'll have to run up there. It's not that far from my house. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's a little bit, but it's closer than any other place we've ever lived in the city. <laughs> For sure. Um, very cool. I love it. Yeah, and it was fun. Uh, I have this coming week. Both of my kids' camps are over for the summer. I go back to work on Friday, which is the 11th. So this whole week coming up, starting tomorrow, my kids and I, because my wife's still working, sort of have to entertain ourselves, the three of us, right? (laughs) I'm technically working. I need to be available, but uh, nah. So we need to find, like, day trip kind of stuff to do. And I feel like getting ice cream is going to be part of that, at least once, if not more than once. So this place will have to continue to be on that list. Yes. Although, I don't know. Ooh, here, we can finish with this. As I don't know what else we're going to do. Yesterday, we went to the McHenry County Fair. Yes. Now, Steve, Grand Traverse County Fair, I am aware that Grand Traverse County is massive. I don't know how big McHenry County is. The McHenry County Fair was disappointing to me based on what I remember from being about 12 going to the Grand Traverse County Fair, (laughs) right? It's not McHenry County Fair's fault. And as I need to remind myself, county fairs, as opposed to state fairs, are so much more about livestock sales than they are about me getting goofy fried shit on sticks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So... (laughs) The food was not necessarily disappointing. I was hoping for goofier Midwest stuff, but what I found was people learning how to sell food at fairs, right? So they had corn dogs, fine, goofy fried shit. They had uh, not only funnel cakes, but also elephant ears. I didn't get an elephant ear, but I was surprised to see one this far southwest. Yeah, and you'd think that would be like matter and antimatter. Right, and they were legit right next to each other. But then I saw pizza. There was a whole booth that was Chinese food. There was, uh, what was the other thing that I saw? Oh, there was actually a really cool booth that I didn't get any food from that was all Polish food, right? It was all cabbage-based sausages and pierogies and shit like that. So that was cool. 
But then there were like three different places to get tacos. Don't get me wrong. I love tacos, but I was like, tacos? County fair? But they were doing banging business. So it's like, you know what? Go where the market is. Yeah. People are eating tacos. Uh, what I was really looking for was like I buttermilk chicken breast fried with cheese curds around it. Like something stupid. Yeah. And I didn't see anything like that. But, I mean, this was, I guess, not the place for doing stupid fried stuff for my entertainment, right? This was <laughs> kids are here because they've been doing 4-H since they were three years old and they want to sell their cow. So what are they going to eat? There was a whole stand that just did steak sandwiches. I got a steak sandwich from them. It was great. And then I looked over at the cattle barn and I was like, ha, 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 this is one of your buddies right here. I was, so it was fine, you know. I was very amused by, and I asked, I asked you, because I guess I didn't pay enough attention to the sign. Um, and so my question for you is going to be, how do we do this better? Um, someone capitalizing on Barbenheimer right now with Barbie funnel cakes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, which evidently is just Barbie because it has strawberries, whipped cream, and sprinkles on it. I believe so. And then it's also $3 more expensive than regular funnel cakes. So my son noticed that. He was like, the Barbie one, it costs $3 to put some canned strawberry pie filling on top of that. And I said, look, they're striking while the iron is hot. Yeah. You know? I feel like missed opportunity, though, in not creating a pink funnel cake dough. Like, everything about that should be pink. Oh, you know what? That's not where I thought you were going to go with that. And you're absolutely right. The missed opportunity I saw is why didn't they do a savory, spicy funnel cake called the Oppenheimer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do both get on uh, get on board with both of them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you could charge, you know, uh, even more for that one. Right. Possibly. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, trying to figure out how you could do a mushroom cloud. Like, put mushrooms on it. Have a spicy... Funnel cake that's got mushrooms on top of it. The or, Oppenheimer. Or maybe, if since they're right next to each other, the Oppenheimer should have been the elephant ear because that you could maybe mold into the shape of a mushroom cloud. Accurate. Yeah. So, come on, county fair. <laughs> but, like, I mean, it was, it was fun the way I remember county fairs being fun because we didn't do the rides first. We got food because we got there around 1130 in the morning. We saw all the animals, right? So we saw the sheep and the goats and the pigs and the chickens. And there are some crazy looking fucking chickens out there. <laughs> I don't know if it's a, like a show dog breeding program or if it turns out that there have always been weird ass breeds of chickens out there just running around. But there were some fancy fucking chickens. And we saw geese and we saw turkeys and geese are loud. Yeah. I, I hadn't really <laughs> noticed that out in the wild. We saw ducks. We saw horses. The barn that was supposed to have bunnies in it had alpacas which really that's just like a giant bunny anyway so that was cool and then yeah the kids did some rides we didn't do any of the carnival uh like midway activities just because we didn't want to and that was the extent of it it was also like i re I, I think it's because i was smaller and I think the Grand Traverse County Fair probably is also larger, but it just felt really small. The McHenry County Fair yeah. felt really small. Unless, of course, you're a 12-year-old trying to sell a cow, which I'm sure it feels like the main stage of your whole life. Yeah. And more power to them. Farm kids are the best. Or maybe it's like, we got to get out of McHenry County because <laughs> the uh, beef purveyors are not showing up. Yeah, I want to say that the steak sandwich place that I went to was like, organized by the cattlemen's association or something i should have taken a picture of it i was wearing my t-shirt that says zero percent vegetarian and one of the guys back there was like i'd love that shirt where'd you get that 
Nice. Did you just trade the shirt for a sandwich? I was tempted to. It was a $12 <laughs> sandwich. It was not worth $12, but again, that's event pricing. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, fine. I, I was not sad about that. Yeah. I got to pay for their space or whatever. Yeah. There was no, I was surprised, there was no uh, either there or at surrounding farms, because it's like out in the middle of nowhere. There was no like farm stand of come here to buy fresh meat, come here to buy corn or whatever. Like I was really sort of expecting that because that was always how it worked in TC. Like the surrounding farms in that area would set up farm stands immediately, just knowing that there was going to be traffic. And I was kind of hoping for that because again, next thursday right before i go back to work my family's going to puerto rico for a week and i'm gonna need to feed myself by myself the whole time that they're gone and i'm pretty sure i'm just gonna eat ribeyes the whole time so <laughs> i was looking to buy some steak well ribeyes and cucumbers yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um okay so i have a question for you and this will be my, my last thing sure okay so there is a property here in town that's being redeveloped by uh, round barn winery um okay. it to we i think we may have talked about it um it's a. It was a church, and they're going to turn it into a, um, maybe a tasting room as well as, but a restaurant. Um, That's the L-shaped one that you showed me. Yeah, yeah. That we because we were. I was trying to figure out where do you put the kitchen and what do you do with all the space because it seems way too big, way too much space for anything else. But I guess if they do tasting room. But anyway, so there's that property across from st- the street from that is a party store. Now the party store has like for maybe six months just been closed and uh some things have kind of disappeared off the shelves here and there um but uh it's not been open so a dumpster showed up there the other day and they're cleaning it out so that i think that i don't know if it's the same owner or someone else but my question is if you owned that property across the street from what you know is going to be a restaurant ta- a winery perhaps tasting room what do you put in there um, I mean, you can just put party store in, but if it's a party store, like, what are you stocking that you're like, you know what, I'm going to get some business from across the street. If- so it depends. If if they're going to do retail sales of their wines from that space, then what I'm putting across the street is something like that Folgarelli's we always talk about in Traverse City. Let's say you are gearing up for a picnic or a party. You want to go to this place and buy some wines. You want to come across the street to me and buy cheese and meat and olives and crackers and whatever right like that's the i'm going upscale party store yeah Yeah. maybe a deli counter maybe you can get sandwiches if somebody i don't know if there are any beaches near you but if somebody's grabbing wine and grabbing picnicky lunch food and they're gonna go out somewhere yeah 30 minutes which isn't too bad but you have to drive all the way over to new buffalo before you get to that kind of thing and i don't know as anyone's driving down just to do a picnic in south bend (laughs) (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I was just curious. And it'll be interesting. Construction hasn't started yet or, um, you know, uh, renovation or whatever for the restaurant. So I was just curious, and I'm interested to see if they do anything or if it's just going to be a party store again. It seemed to be uh, quite a mishmash, although I never went in there, but just based by on the uh, pictures that are on the outside of the building for some of the stuff that they had, it seems to be uh, that it was quite a mishmash of stuff. So maybe they'll... Uh, I, I would be real tempted to focus in on something like that, too, and then either go down in flames or uh, sell cheese like gangbusters. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, it's also tricky. Like, without knowing the area, you don't want to hang everything on this wine place yeah. opening across the street, necessarily. You're right. Yeah, maybe you'd need to go completely different and be like, you know what? They, what they're not getting is Flaming Hot Cheetos and uh, Mountain Dew, right. which is what all this is all going to be Flaming Hot Blank and flavors of Mountain Dew. 
Have you, now that you've said your last thing and I've already said my last thing, I'm going to start up a new thing. Have you seen the movie about the guy who invented Flamin' Hot Cheetos? No, I think I saw that it existed, but I have not. Worth it. That movie is great. I was I was shocked. There's nobody in it who I recognized at all except for Tony Shalhoub, who I didn't recognize at all until I was like, <laughs> is that fucking Tony Shalhoub wearing like a Richard Nixon mask? I don't know what they did to him, but he looks weird. Uh, the movie's great. The movie's absolutely great. Nice. So that's a big thumbs up, big recommend for me to watch the Flamin' Hot Cheetos movie. I'll have to check it out. I think feel I, good hit of the summer. I think I may have seen it. Like who who wanted this? <laughs> <laughs> it's I mean it's very rah rah Frito Lay. I'm sure it was like completely bankrolled by them. Yeah, you know like it's an adver- It's sort of an advertisement for Frito Lay. There's a lot of racism in it. There's a lot of like race relations and Reaganomics and all kind of disaster shit in it. But <laughs> by the end of the day, it's very like you know being a good manager of people at frito-lay you know is is how we operate it was like well okay maybe but like (laughs) i think it was i think the dude wrote a book or somebody wrote a book about him because it's a allegedly a true story and then this movie was made out of that book nice but for being fairly fluffy and for being like a feel-good story yeah worth your time now did i also uh promise my son that we would go see the meg 2 uh, today, yes, we're going to do that, which is a giant shark movie, <laughs> which is the sequel to another giant shark movie starring Jason Statham, which is based on a book that I read when I was about his age that was written like in the 80s. Uh, and we rewatched The Meg last night and it's fucking terrible and I cannot wait to see The Meg too. Yeah, I was going to say, it today. Uh, I'm only saying this because it's you and I know, know it won't be a deterrent, but the latest thing I saw about The Meg 2 was a headline that said, is The Meg 2 the worst movie of the summer? What critics are saying? um so uh awesome yes (laughs) i still say that in our panoply of food movies all shark movies count as food movies it's just that the people are the food yes yeah i would also say totally having nothing to do with this show or the themes of this show it's tough to be afraid if something as large as a megalodon because it's not personal if it's eating you, it's eating you with 60 other people at the same time. It's tough to be afraid of that. Whereas, like, the shark from Jaws was intentionally, spitefully eating you. Like, it was coming for you. Yeah. It was going to come for you in your living room. Like, it yeah. was going to get you. Whereas the Meg is just swatting. It's just this enormous thing. So, not scary. Right. I don't know. I like Jason Statham. Is he in the sequel as well or no? Gotta be. If he's <laughs> if he's not, we're walking out. <laughs> Well, He's I mean, in the trailer, so even yeah. if you stay for the whole movie, you'll be walking out. Yeah, 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 it's true. Uh, boy, that'd be a twist, though, if he dies like in the first couple of minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the rest of my day sorted right there. I'm waiting for the what, the rain to stop so that I can harvest my gigantic cucumbers and then take my son to see a prehistoric shark movie. Nice. Yeah. If you can carve that cucumber into a shark, <laughs> it's the meg of the sharks. cucumbers. Right. Probably could. Don't know if I want to, but I probably could. <laughs> All right. So, ladies and gentlemen, once again, if you want to get a hold of us in the weeds, WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall, where you'll see pictures of my megalodon-sized cucumber that I'm going <laughs> to uh, harvest probably today. It depends on how damp it is outside right now. And uh, we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. Which I always forget to mention, but like we do have some merch on there if you want to dress like a couple of very early 40s guys. Because I think still we're the only ones buying anything off of our website, which is also fine. I just use it as a place to uh, make shirts for myself. (laughs) (laughs) 
because I, I have a lot of great shirts, but I make pretty great shirts too. Yes, and yeah. there'll be another one. I'll get it, I'll get the one that you sent me up at um, at some point. I just have to play with it a bit. Okay, cool. Sounds good. I did get two shirts for my birthday. One from each of my brothers. One that was a picture of Darth Vader holding his hand out, and it said leadership. It's about lifting people up. And the other shirt is just a gray shirt, and in black print, it says, another fine day ruined by all of my responsibilities. <laughs> so my brothers know me very well. I'm very happy about that. I don't. I need a dresser just for t-shirts, I think. Yeah. Because I have a lot of them. Including many that you can get exclusively on our website. <laughs> All right, Steve, that's all I've got for today. Ditto. I need to go get some food. Cool. All right, ladies and gentlemen, for In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I'm Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. And we'll talk at you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>